Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. We use paper shredders in our office, and many of you in your homes and your offices, you have them as well. We don't want someone using our personal information, our private information, to harm us financially or otherwise. And so we use paper shredders. And I had a little bit of that from our shred machine. And what makes paper shredders so effective in keeping our personal and private information private is when you, you end up with all these pieces of this paper, and the problem is you don't know how to put it back together. So we shred our paper and we throw it in the dumpster, right? We're not concerned if somebody's going to take this, this paper and try to put it back together because it's almost impossible, right? Well, we've been talking about a jigsaw puzzle is much the same way. A jigsaw puzzle, if you have a, a thousand-piece puzzle and you, you don't have the picture on the box, you don't know how the story, how the, the puzzle is put together in the Bible, is like that. We know a lot of Bible stories, don't we? We were taught them as a, a young child and in Sunday school, and we read them on our own. But sometimes we don't know how all those little stories fit together in the grand narrative of the story of redemption. And so what we're doing over this five-week period is we're trying to help us understand the story of redemption as a whole. If we had to summarize the story of the Bible, how would you do that? If you're visiting with us, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. How would you... Summarize the story of the Bible in a sentence or two. Could you do that? Many of you could. The summary we've been using, you could say it's the movement in history from creation to new creation through the redemptive work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who saves and changes corrupt people like you and me for His glory and for our good. You can also summarize it in three words. Creation, fall, and redemption. Or what if you had to summarize it in one word? The Bible is the story of, what would you say? Yeah, the story of Jesus. That's what the story is all about, right? From cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, it's about Christ. Now we're created to worship man was created by this self-sufficient, ever-existing God who five days prior began to speak the world into existence. He created the world out of nothing. On day six, he created land animals, then man in his own image. And part of what it means to bear forth God's image is that man has a relationship with God. And man worships God. That's part of what it means to be made in his image. We worship the Lord when we obey Him. And God created everything good, didn't He? In fact, after day six, He says it was not just good, but very good. But after being told not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, this good man failed to worship. He failed to obey the Lord and he ate from the forbidden fruit. Failing to worship, failing to obey God is 
It's sinful. In fact, it's sin itself. Sin resulted in man being separated from God and Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Sin resulted in shame and guilt, fear, blame shifting. Paradise was lost, wasn't it? The serpent, or you could call him Satan, was cursed and Eve was cursed and man was cursed. And we too, we live under the effects of this curse, don't we? We as children of Adam, we are born sinners, so we too have to varying degrees experience <coughs> suffered from the effects of sin. We're separated from God, of course, because we're sinners, but we also suffer from fear and shame. What about guilt? Blame shifting, right? They're all too familiar, aren't they? And why is that? It's because we're sinners like Adam. We have failed to worship our Creator rightly. We think about Adam and Eve's disappointment for a moment. Here they are, they're in the garden, walking intimately with the Creator. They're not experiencing jealousy. They're not having to deal with pride at all. They're not suffering from want or unmet expectations. Then, having the disappointments Adam and Eve had after being cast out of the garden, that must have been very deflating, you imagine. They experienced a what have we done moment. But the what have we done moment quickly became a what have you done moment, right? Because now they're sinful, right? And we shift the blame. But amidst all this darkness, there's hope, isn't it? Remember, we took note of Genesis 3.15. As the Creator cursed the serpent, He says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. One day, an offspring of Eve would have his heel bruised, but this offspring will crush the heel of the enemy, the adversary, Satan himself. Even though paradise was lost because of sin, there's hope given here as God promised to send a redeemer, a rescuer, a serpent crusher, right? What happened that day when Adam fell was a tragedy of tragedies, right? The effects of sin were seen in relationships as Cain killed his brother Abel. And things went from bad to worse as the Lord regretted that he had created all things. He saved Noah and his family in the ark, but the rest of the breathing creatures died as God judged them by sending the flood. And you think after the flood, you think things would get better, don't you? You had this restart, a reboot, if you will. But it didn't. Instead of scattering and filling the earth, what did man do? They gathered in one city to make a name for, not for God, but a name for themselves, right? They didn't worship their creator. So God judged them as well by confusing their language that day at Babel. And as you continue to read this true story in the Bible, these, it's, it's getting disheartening. It's grim, it's gloomy, it's dark. 
What about this 3.15 promise, this Genesis 3.15 promise of a servant crusher? Where is he? And then, lo and behold, God calls Abraham. And we have another ray of hope. And he gives Abraham some promises. Do you remember? Although childless, Abraham was told that he would have many descendants, as many as the stars are in the sky. God said that through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed, and he's going to give him land, and those that bless him, he'll bless, and those that curse him, he'll curse. In other words, God, God, God has his back. I'm going to take care of you. Well, Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. Then Jacob and Esau to Isaac and Rachel. And Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. Once those twelve sons had lived in Egypt 400 years, they grew into a million strong. And we see the beginnings of the promise to Abraham coming to fruition, don't we? The descendants will be as numerous as the stars are in the sky. Those Israelites were rescued from Egypt by God's mighty hand and the leadership of Moses, and they're on their way to take the promised land that God had for them. And they stopped at Sinai. What happened at Sinai? God gave them His requirements for them. Gave them the law, what we call the Mosaic Covenant. He gave them the Ten Commandments, right? The reason God gave him the law was to reveal to His people who He was. And also to show them that they were Him. See, the law was also given to show people their sin, their shortcomings. And they had many, didn't they? And as they, they move from Mount Sinai towards the Promised Land, they get to the edge of the Promised Land and they didn't trust the Lord. They didn't worship Him rightly. And so God had them wander 40 years in the wilderness until that generation died. The next generation didn't do much better. They entered the Promised Land, but instead of annihilating the pagans in that country, they allowed many of them to live. And those pagans living in the promised land led them astray. And as they were led astray, eventually they were oppressed by these people. What did the people of God do? They finally, in their bitterness and miserable condition, they cried out to the Lord. And God raised up for them judges who led them to victory over their enemies. This continued until the last judge and the first prophet Samuel anointed a king. See, the Israelites didn't want God to be their king. He wanted an earthly king like all the other nations. Bad choice. Samuel anointed Saul and things didn't go well, did it? In fact, after Saul's death, David, a shepherd boy, was anointed king of God's people. David desired to build the Lord a temple, but the Lord said Solomon would do that, his son. Solomon would do that instead. But what God did do for David was make a promise to him. And what God promised David, God promised that he would never fail to have an heir on the throne. Well, David was succeeded by Solomon, who after building the temple was succeeded by Rehoboam. And because Solomon and Rehoboam didn't persevere in worshiping the Lord as they should, the kingdom was divided. The northern kingdom was called what? Israel, right? And the southern kingdom was called Judah. Because the Davidic kings didn't worship the Lord, the northern kingdom was exiled in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was exiled to Babylon in 586. Again, things aren't going well. What about these promises? What about the Genesis 3.15 promise? The serpent crusher, where is he? What about the, the blessings that are going to come through the descendants of Abraham? What about this forever king that God promised David? Where are these 
Where are these redeemers? As Adam mentioned last week, by the time of the exile, the Israelites, they were looking for a new type of king. The prophets began to speak about him in Isaiah chapter 9. We saw that text already. The context here is that Isaiah is speaking about the coming invasion of the Assyrians. Isaiah predicts deliverance from an enemy oppressor. And here the Lord speaks through Isaiah about what that deliverer or who that deliverer is. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and what? Forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now that last statement is pretty interesting. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In fact, the Lord would have to do this if this was to take place. Think about David. He was a, a pretty good king, but he fell and then he died. And Solomon started off doing really well and then he fell away from the Lord, and he died. And Rehoboam, well, Rehoboam didn't even start out doing well. So if these promises are going to be fulfilled, it would have to be God. In fact, God would be this new king, this new Davidic king. God himself is going to come and deliver his people. I want to share with you another text, Ezekiel chapter 10. Let me set the context for you. Ezekiel is in Babylon because of the Israelites' lack of worship, their exile into Babylon. But this didn't happen just once. It was several waves of ex several waves took place. And the first group of people that were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon, Ezekiel was a part of that group. And he's in Babylon. He's sitting in Ezekiel's home with many of the leaders of Judah there with him. And he had a vision of the Lord. And the vision was of the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem hadn't been totally destroyed yet. That's going to come. And the vision he, he sees is of this destruction. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18 through 22. Then the, then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up his wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord and the glory of the Lord of Israel was over them. He sees a vision of the glory of the Lord. And what's the glory of the Lord doing? The glory of the Lord at this point in time is leaving. This vision is leaving the temple. It's going out to the east gate. The east gate of the temple looked out over the Mount of Olives. And the glory of the Lord is leaving the temple. And the result is going to be what? When the glory of the Lord leaves the temple, the result is the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to destroy Jerusalem. Jerusalem was sacked and all of Judah was exiled. After the 70 years of exile, as the prophet Jeremiah foretold, the nation returns to Babylon. The temple's rebuilt. The walls around Jerusalem are rebuilt. But there's a lot of disappointment. Things aren't what they thought it would be, even after they return. The temple is not as grand as it used to be. Life is not as prosperous as they thought it would be. And at that point in history, you enter what we call the intertestamental period. The intertestamental period is the time between the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's 400 years, and for 400 years, God is silent. He didn't speak through any of his prophets. 
In fact, he didn't even inspire men to pen words of the canon. So for 400 years, God's silent. The generations are disappointed. The generations are hopeless. And then what happens? You've got your place there in Luke chapter 2. Look over Luke chapter 1. I want to point out something to you. Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 26 through 33. We'll read that together. Page 1016. <coughs> Then the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now think about it. You've had this, you've had the exile return to Jerusalem. There's disappointment. You've got 400 years of silence. And then all of a sudden, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Yeah, you got all of this silence and all of a sudden an angel, Gabriel, appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to be, she's going to have a child even though she's never been with a man. Luke chapter 2. The shepherds are out in the fields. Adriana read this text for us. Let's look at verse 9. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Verse 9, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And what happened? The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in some clothes, lying in a manger. And so that's what the shepherds did. They went and they found that baby lying in a manger. But I want to point that out to you. Ezekiel sees this vision of the glory of the Lord departing the temple. As a result of the glory of the Lord leaving that place, that place was ruined by the Babylonians. And here you have 400 years later, the glory of the Lord returning. Why did the glory of the Lord return? Because God became man. The incarnation, we call it. God taking on flesh, becoming a man. And the incarnation allowed mankind to have hope. And why is that? Well, think about it. Genesis 3.15, this promise of a servant crusher, it gave hope. The call of Abraham and the covenant God made with him of land and blessing of a great nation. Through Abraham, all the nations of the world be blessed. That brought hope. And David, the promise God gave him that he will have a, an heir on the throne forever. This forever 
Davidic king. That gave hope. But with the Son of God becoming a man and taking on flesh, these hopes really began to be realized. And what I want to do for you, I also want to point out a couple things quickly about the Incarnation and what happens when God takes on flesh and becomes a man. The Incarnation, one of the things it does is it allows mankind to see God. After the fall of Adam, there were a few men, a select few, who would hear from the Lord and they would come and deliver God's message. They were God's mouthpiece. They were the prophets. And there were some priests who were set aside from the tribe of Levi who would make intercession for the people. They would represent the people before God. And some of these people were Moses and Aaron and Samuel and Elijah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, as we've read already. Then through the law and the words the Lord gave the prophets, the people could know what God was like. The people could know what God desired for them to do. But with the birth of Jesus, when God took on flesh and became a man, the God who created this world and is holding it together made himself known. As Jesus began his ministry, those living in Jerusalem and Galilee, they could see Jesus and how he treated the needy, how he treated the woman caught in adultery. How would God respond to that? Jesus responded to that. And the people in Palestine 2,000 years ago, they got to see that firsthand. They got to see how Jesus would, would confront and rebuke the, the arrogant, the self-righteous Pharisees. How would God treat people like that? How would God, how would God treat children? 2,000 years ago, the, the people in Palestine, they, they were able to see that. They were eyewitnesses. This is how God treats children. He welcomed them. Those in name, they saw a compassionate healer speak to the dead son of a widow and they witnessed this boy rise and Jesus gave him back to the weeping mother. How does God treat widows? How does God treat the hurting? The people of Palestine 2,000 years ago were able to see Jesus not only heal a leper who'd been put out of his village because he was unclean, they're able to see God touch that dirty man and heal him. John chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to read verse 18 as well. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His, what? His glory. Glory as a, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side has made him known. In the incarnation, it allowed people to see God. How would God react to this situation? Now we know. And we, 2,000 years later, we have that recorded in the Gospels. How Jesus conducted himself when he walked on this earth. The incarnation allowed man not only to see God, but to experience his presence. After Adam sinned, Mankind was cast out of the garden. Not only cast out of the garden, Bryce, but he's cast out of God's presence. You don't see glimpses, you don't see God's presence showing up very often, but, but a few places you do. When they were rescued, the Israelites were rescued from Egypt, and God's directing them toward the promised land. How did he, how did he direct them? How did he guide them to the, to the promised land? 
Remember, it was by a fielder of fire by night and a cloud by day. You see glimpses of the presence of God. They're aware of His presence. After Sinai, God instructed Moses for them to build a mobile temple, a tabernacle. And then later, Solomon, he built a permanent temple. And in that temple, there was a, inside the inner court was the Holy of Holies. And what, what, did, that, what did that area represent? It housed the Ark of the Covenant. It represented God's presence. Little by little, as God progressively reveals himself. We call it progressive revelation. Little by little, we see God's presence among his people. Little by little. But the only thing about that, that Holy of Holies, and it represented God's presence, is the high priest can only enter one day a year. They have limited exposure. But with the incarnation, God is now walking among his people. The angel that spoke to Joseph told him not to be afraid to take Mary to be his wife because her child was conceived not with another man but by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. What? Emmanuel. Yeah. God. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. God was among his people. So the incarnation allowed those people 2,000 years ago to see God, to experience God's presence. But also, this is how... The incarnation, God taking on flesh, is how God's promises were kept. Think about the promise God gave a, uh, mankind in Genesis 3.15. That there's going to be this serpent crusher who's going to redeem mankind. Jesus is the serpent crusher. The Mosaic Covenant on Sinai when God gave people, his law. Jesus, remember what he said about the law? He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He did. He kept it for us. The Davidic covenant that promised to David that he'll have an heir on the throne forever and ever and ever. Look at Luke chapter 1 real quickly. Verse 32 and 33. This is Gabriel, again, the message he gave to Mary. Speaking of Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. In his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no Jesus is the Davidic king that will reign forever and ever and ever. See, Jesus is fulfilling all these promises. And lastly, the incarnation made a way for man's sin to be dealt with. Isaiah 53, prophecy, 500 years before Jesus came. We'll just read that for you real quick. See, the incarnation made a way for man's sin to be dealt with. I mean, think about it. Abraham, Noah, Seth, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all these great men of God. They were godly men. 
They persevered in their faith, but they were sinful men. And their sin had to be dealt with. And you know, God was really gracious because he allowed them to offer sacrifice. In fact, we see sacrifices all the way back from the beginning of time. Abel and Cain, what was that conflict about? It was about a sacrifice, right? So you see the sacrifice from, from the very beginning, after the fall. And God was gracious to allow the Israelites to offer sacrifices. But the sacrifices that they made, it didn't completely atone for their sin. In fact, what it did is it just passed over their sin. That's why they had to offer sacrifices over and over and over. Isaiah, speaking of this forever king who would come, this serpent crusher, this descendant of Abraham, through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. He says in Isaiah 53, verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we have seen him not. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We don't worship him rightly. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation who, con who considered that he was cut out for the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. The sacrifices that were made for the people of the Old Testament, they were offered like over and over and over. First Peter 3.18 is probably my favorite verse. Christ died for sin once for all. The righteous or the unrighteous to bring you to God. Bring me to God. Once for all, the incarnation made it possible for our sin to be dealt with our guilt and our shame to be taken care of. The Father gave His Son to us in the Incarnation. He also gave Him for us in Calvary. See, Jesus took on flesh. He became a man, but He grew up just like we, we grow up. As Adam will share with us next week, He bore our sin on the cross, not because He was guilty, not because He deserved it, but because we deserved it. We talk about this Bible, this story of redemption. We had to summarize it. We'd say it's a story about Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God 
find their yes in Jesus. What promises? Genesis 3.15 promise of a servant crusher. Abraham promise. Through him all the nations will be blessed. The Davidic promise that David would have an heir on the throne forever and ever and ever. Jesus fulfilled all of those. There's a children's album. It's called Theology. If you don't have that, I would highly recommend it. It's a collection of songs that covers a whole range of theological topics. But it's, it's put together in a way that children can, can remember it and understand it. The last song summarizes that whole collection and it, it goes like this. We've actually sang it. Our children have actually sang it. From Genesis to Revelation, there's one story of your great salvation. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Shouting out from every page, there's one hero that'll save the day. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, this story of redemption is about Christ. Christmas is all about Christ, right? Yep. Application. What do we do with this? This is our fourth message. Putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together so we can understand the story of redemption better. How do we apply this? Well, I ask you a question. We've been saying this every week. What, is, what are we created to do? What's the purpose behind us being created? Why are we created? Worship Him. Yeah, we're created to worship Him. When we fail to worship, or we, when we worship wrongly, we sin. The shepherds came and they saw the baby Jesus, didn't they? And the magi, the wise men, they come and they worship him. We should worship him. So my question for us today is, how we work? How am I worshiping him? Aaron, how'd you worship? Ronnie, how'd you worship? Courtney, how'd you worship? That's our application for us today. Is it ask that question and answer it? How's the worship? Some of us, we were just, hey, we were worshiping the Lord. Because He saved us and He's sanctified us. But for some of us today, when I say, how's your worship? This is you don't really understand what I'm talking about. And as they sing this song, but he is worthy. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate. And that's probably because you get to be redeemed. It's the story of redemption, but maybe you haven't been redeemed. Maybe, I can't say. That's for you to determine that God did reveal to you. But the scriptures are real clear. We're just like Adam. We're cast out of the garden because of our sin. We're separated from the Lord. And we, we experience fear and shame and guilt and blame shifting, don't we? Because we're sinful and our sin must be atoned for. God is a loving God, but He's also just. And He doesn't overlook any sin. Our sin has to be dealt with. And the great thing about the Incarnation we celebrate here at Christmas is 
That made it possible for Jesus, the Son of God, to not only be born and, and, and have flesh, but He walked this earth. He obeyed that law for us. He obeyed it. And then He went to a cross and He was abused and He was He was killed. And He died and the Bible says that He was buried and three days later He rose from the grave for our justification so we could be made right. The Bible says that Jesus, 40 days later, He, he revealed Himself to His disciples and He ascended to heaven. But He said before He left, I'm coming back. And when He comes back, He's going to judge sinners. And so we gather as a church today, it's worship day. That's what we call it our house. What's tomorrow? It's worship day. That's what we do on Sunday. We gather with the body of Christ and we worship. How's your worship? Are you a worshiper of Jesus? If not today, you can be a worshiper of Jesus. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sin. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. What does it mean to confess our sin? We acknowledge we're sinful. And that we deserve God's work. And what happens is God brings about godly sorrow in our life. But it's not just, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. No, it's not a sinner. No. Rebelling against the holy, awesome God who loves me. The Bible says if we repent and we'll turn from our sin and we'll trust that Jesus did not only live for me, but he died for me. And he rose on the third day. The Bible says if we repent and we trust that Jesus did those things for me, that the work he did on the cross was for me, the Bible says that he'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's that mean? It's, it's just like Adam and Eve when they're cast out of the garden. That's, all, that's our condition. But the Bible says that, that if we repent and believe, we can be reconciled to this creator. We can know Him. And we can worship Him. We can have a relationship with Him. So our application today is just that. Worship Him rightly today. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.